Welcome to the Bonhoeffer Podcast, a podcast about the life, theology, and practice of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm your host, Corey Tuttle. And my guest today is Dr. Michael DeYoung. Dr. DeYoung is the professor and chair of religious studies at the University of South Florida. He's also the author of Bonhoeffer's Theological Formation, Bonhoeffer's Reception of Luther, and Bonhoeffer on Resistance. Dr. DeYoung, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for the invitation, Corey. I'm happy to be here. It's very kind of you to ask me. Yeah, yeah. I've been really looking forward to this. Um, I, I just read those three books that I mean. I, I just read all three. And I can't say that I've ever read three books by the same author in a row. Um, so it weirdly feels like we've met somehow already. <laughs> okay, <laughs> then. But so you're, it's, probably, it's, you're probably the only one who's done that. So I'm <laughs> Well, it's great to finally meet you. Um, Oh, to officially meet you, I guess I yeah. I felt like I already did a little bit. Um, yeah, so really thankful for this. Um, basically, what I'd like to do is what we usually do is kind of a get to know you segment of the show, and then jump into kind of your Bonhoeffer scholarship, uh, the things that you've written about, um, and kind of jump in those, put those in layman's terms for the uh, for the reader, and any follow up questions with those things. So I figured we could just start off with the get to know you. Um, how did you become interested in Bonhoeffer? When did you discover him? Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid I don't have an exciting story about how I discovered Bonhoeffer or came to study him. I, you know, there are many people, especially in the older generation of Bonhoeffer scholars, who have deeply personal, uh, existentially meaningful accounts of their discovery of Bonhoeffer and um, moving accounts of the place that he's had in their lives. So I've heard a lot of these older people talk, for example, about um, the decades after World War II when the degree of Christian complicity in the war and in the atrocities of the Hitler regime was becoming known. And then these scholars say that Bonhoeffer was like, like a point of light in that darkness and something that saved Christianity or the church or their faith for them. Um, so I'm afraid I can't compete <laughs> with those kind of stories. I, I remember I just, I first read him um, in college with some friends, but I didn't really do much with him until I reached the, disser the dissertation stage of my PhD. And at that point, uh, the decision to work on Bonhoeffer seemed like a good one because of the way that my sort of interests could fit into ongoing conversations about Bonhoeffer. So, I mean, my own interests were pretty scholarly. I have interests in philosophy and theology and intellectual history. But I also knew that I had some, um, shall we say, tendencies toward abstraction. So I knew that it'd be important for me to ground those interests in actual ongoing conversations that some people felt to be practical. And I mean, for this, Bonhoeffer was perfect, right? On the one hand, plenty of people were talking and writing about him. Um, on the other hand, many, though certainly not all, were interested in him for pretty practical or existential reasons. And I figured if I could ask the kinds of questions that I was interested in about this guy, I could probably have something to say that would be of interest for people who are interested in him for other reasons. And I, th I think that this has worked out pretty well in terms of like, finding a scholarly community 
I mean, Bonhoeffer scholarship has this this kind of diversity, which I like. There, uh, I kind of occupy a more academic side of the conversation, and then there are people who are on the more practical side. But we in, enjoy each other's insights, I think. And I think Bonhoeffer as a person is also interesting, precisely for a kind of integration of this practical and intellectual parts of himself. You know, he's known popularly for practical things, like maybe he's known as a hero of resistance, or maybe he's known for his uh, spirituality, if people have been introduced to him through life together or discipleship or something like this. But, you know, just by virtue of his his academic training and the culture that he grew up in, his resistance or his spirituality, you know, these elements of himself or of his story are supported by a kind of intellectual sophistication that is always sort of there to be explored. So in that way, he's a really interesting figure that sort of fits um, with my questions while still giving me kind of a community to be a part of. Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Wow. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Um, that's something that I've really enjoyed doing this. You know, I'm starting to interact with these Bonhoeffer scholars and just the wide array of, of people Absolutely. that are fascinated by his life and, and his works. And it's just great. Um, and, for all, and for all kinds of different reasons too, don't you think? I mean, you hear everybody, I mean, like you've, some of the people you're interested, I mean, Stephen Haynes is a great guy. He's got his own set of concerns and Barry Harvey, and we all kind of approach things from a di different way, but I think we, uh, yeah, we value each other's insights, I think, so. Yeah, but yeah, that's great. And you mentioned your uh, your dissertation, um, which right you told me right before we started recording that this book, Bonhoeffer's Theological Formation, is your dissertation, which just blew my mind. Yeah, um, yeah it is. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Um, I, I was hoping that we could, spend a lot of time on this out of all three of the books, mainly because I think Barry Harvey said last episode that he explains to his students that Bonhoeffer's first, his dissertations, his first two books are in the most dense, I think he called it graduate studentese. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, I think I remember like maybe five years ago before I even, you know, even thought about Bonhoeffer scholarship, I had read Life Together and I was like, all right, if I want to do this, I'm going to jump right to the beginning. And yeah. I had no context and I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> I, I know. I, I think that you're absolutely not alone, that there are people who either read, you know, letters and papers from prison first or Life Together or discipleship first. And like, wow, this guy's great. Let's start from the beginning and read Sanctorum Community. <laughs> and they get to about page 10 and just like, forget it. Uh, no, it's absolutely true. I mean, you would never believe that the guy who wrote uh, Letters and Papers or Life Together wrote that stuff. That's part of what's interesting about him, um, you know, in the, in the way that I talked about, uh, that he goes through this kind of change, or I would say a kind of integration, maybe, of the parts of himself. And you look at him early on, and he's just a, you know, giant walking brain. Uh, <laughs> and then he, he, he becomes somebody who's able to articulate those insights in direct existentially gripping ways somehow and he certainly was not able to do that in his dissertation or was not interested in doing it uh it's really remarkable yeah so fascinating um so your your bonhoeffer's theological formation is primarily about act and being which is one of those it's the second dissertation but it is definitely one of those that's really hard to understand if you don't have the context um, 
And to have the context in this book is really helpful. Um, so I was hoping that we could uh, kind of walk through some of the themes there. Uh, but first, before we do that, I was hoping that we could kind of set the, what's the theological climate that Bonhoeffer's interacting with? There's plenty of figures that he's interacting with in the book, uh, Karl Barth, Karl Hull, maybe uh, Feuerbach as well. Um, can you kind of explain what those people are saying so that we can kind of jump into what Bonhoeffer is saying against those things? It seems to be about revelation, um, how God reveals himself to humans. Um, how, how does that all work? Right. No, you're right that the book involves a lot of him positioning himself in relationship to the theological trends of the time. And that's definitely a big part of the project. Uh, and a certain amount of that is somewhat biographical. So he's studying at the University of Berlin, which is, you know, more or less the top place to study um, theology at that time. And um, he's studying with some pretty heavy hitters um, like uh, Adolf von Harnack uh, or Karl Hall or Reinhold Zeberg and um, really well-established theologians. But then the event that sort of requires him to position himself is, I would say, the rise of Bart's theology uh, in the early 20s, which was a kind of a revolutionary development that self-consciously tried to overthrow a lot of the old guard, which would have included some of the people that Bonhoeffer was studying with. Uh, and so in the mid-20s, Bonhoeffer seriously reads um, some of Bart's work, uh, including his collection of essays on the Word of God and I think the Romans commentary. And the effect is noticeable pretty immediately um, in terms of the way he starts to write his papers. You know, he starts incorporating um, Bardian themes and Bardian vocabulary in ways that his professors are not that thrilled about. Um, and then you can also see in his letters and in his diary and these sorts of things that Bart has made a big impact. He's sort of recommending Bart to friends and family. and Later, um, when he goes to Union um, in New York, he kind of makes himself into a, like a Bart evangelist. He is pretty dismayed by the state of theology there and figures that they need a good dose of Bart and takes it upon himself to inject that. Um, so there's no doubt that Bart plays this hugely influential role on him at that moment. But he's also from the beginning not a pure Bart fanboy, you know, he's not going to just parrot what Bart says and what Bart writes. And from the beginning, he's got a kind of critical edge. So I think the um, the way to understand what he's doing in Act and Being is trying to negotiate that situation for himself theologically. To what degree is he going to follow Bart and Bart's new theology? And to what degree is he going to remain rooted in this theology in which he was trained in Berlin? And um, 
that sets up the dynamic or one of the dynamics of that book, Act and Being. And um, it even can be sort of mapped onto the title of the book because he characterizes Bart's theology in the book as a form of act theology or a kind of theology that privileges concepts that have to do with act. And uh, some of his Berlin teachers would sort of fall on the other side of being theology. The most prominent one that he names most frequently in the book is Karl Paul. Um, and he himself is trying to mediate those positions in a way um, by developing what I, what I call his person theology. So that's, to me, that's sort of the context of his, and then I would add to that, that um, Heidegger has recently wrote Being in Time. Um, and that's hugely influential in providing the tools by which Bonhoeffer tries to mediate those situations and kind of develop his own theological voice. Yeah. That's perfect. All right, um, well, let's jump into kind of this, the, these concepts. Um, it seems from the book that he, he seems to start with the critique of um, Karl Hall's being theology in relation to con conscience, uh, and revelation being revealed in the conscience of being a human possibility. Is, is that right? How, how would you explain that? Yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. So um, the logical starting point, I would say, of the book is this critique of what he calls being theology. And um, that critique is largely the critique that that Bart developed. So um, just to kind of explain um, Bonhoeffer's terminology there, um, the most important concept, I think, in the book is, as you said, the concept of revelation. So if we're going to talk about being and act in terms of revelation, then he uses the terms this way. So if a concept of revelation has what he calls act characteristics, then that means that revelation acts on the person from outside. So revelation is conceptualized then as something that encounters the person from outside the resources of the self. And that's, um, to put it simply, kind of Bart's position with his idea about God being holy, other, and all this stuff. And then the being side, um, in, according to his presentation, treats revelation ultimately as something that's more or less continuous with the self. So revelation isn't something that's this kind of radical critique or radical judgment of the self, but is in some way continuous with it, builds on the resources of the self, or confirms something about the self. Um, and the significance of, you know, Bart's entry into the theological space is that he critiques, he develops a pretty influential critique of all kinds of being theologies, right? I mean, Bart comes on the scene and says, basically all of modern theology pretty much has reduced God and reduced revelation to some kind of feature of creation, usually some kind of feature of the self. And he says, theology needs to reorient itself with the recognition that revelation and the God who reveals 
is not some feature of the self or some feature of creation, but is something wholly other that confronts those things. And on that critique of existing theology, I think Bonhoeffer sort of swallows Bart whole and he deploys that against um, the people that he classifies as a being theology. And one of those people then is Carl Hall. And Carl Hall had this interpretation of Luther's theology as a theology of conscience. Um, so he had this idea that the conscience was the place where God re revealed God's self to the believer according to his reading of Luther's theology. And um, Bonhoeffer criticized this and said that if that's true, then it's a being theology. Then God is just a confirmation of whatever we already have in ourselves and following the Bardian critique, that can't work. So that's kind of the starting point. Um, the logical starting point is, okay, yeah, let's grant Bart's critique of being theology and, and go from there. And he's leveling that critique at a lot of his teachers among others. Yeah. Bold move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he doesn't, it just doesn't lack for confidence, does he? Not only is he sort of taking on a whole range of thinkers, uh, and positioning himself among them, but he's not pulling a lot of punches. Um, yeah, yeah, that's so fascinating to think that he goes into college and it's like all his professors, I don't agree with any of you. <laughs> this guy's yeah. right. Yeah. Well, he had this way of doing that, I think that where, I mean, there's something about that is very Bardian, right? Um, mm -hmm. Bart was very much kind of, um, kind of ticking off the old guard and there was some of that that Bonhoeffer did, but in terms of like his personality, he seemed so different. Like he would criticize them certainly, but he re remained deferential and respectful in a way that maybe doesn't quite come th through as much with Bart. Like he has all these serious critiques, but then you read, for example, his eulogy at Harnack's funeral and Harnack would arguably be subject to a lot of the kind of critiques that, that Bart levels and, um, you know, Bonhoeffer, delivers a very moving eulogy of him and, you know, continues to read Harnack and respect him throughout his life. So, uh, yeah, it's an interesting conglomeration of personality traits there where he's quite confident in himself <laughs> over against very well-established other people, but is able to, in a way, remain in conversation with them um, and show deference to them. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic throughout that his early career especially that kind of um, bleeds into act and being for sure. Amazing. Uh, so he, he critiques being theology and, and act and being, but he seems to turn around and say, all right, Bart, you don't have it right either. Let's uh, let me lay this out for you. And, and he critiques act. And it seems to that there's the problem of act and being that he's trying to solve and act and being. Um, so what is his understanding of act and, and how does he critique that? Yeah. So, I mean, you summarize it very well. Um, so what he's gonna basically argue is that in order for a theology to work, in order for a theology to accurately reflect what's going on in Revelation, it's going to need to have both act and being characteristics uh, in a way that doesn't just make one side into simply a function of the other, right? 
that's a kind of general summary of what he's trying to do. So he's trying to find a theologically acceptable way to have the act characteristics, which according to his reading, Bart emphasizes, and a modified version of the being characteristics that the other, uh, other side is strong on. So, um, and I mean, this gets complicated pretty quickly, but he thinks that that, that kind of balance needs to be appropriately adjudicated at kind of all of the levels is the way I described it in, in my book, all the levels of theological conceptuality. You need to have some kind of balance of act and being when you're talking about anthropology, which is probably something you're interested in, given what you told me about your interest in theological anthropology. Um, but also you need to have some kind of combination of act and being con, uh, characteristics at the level of epistemology, if you're gonna understand how knowledge of God or faith works properly. And you need to have some kind of coordination of act and being when you're talking about revelation and God. And it turns out because he's bought into Bart's idea that a proper theology starts with revelation, it turns out that for him, the crucial piece is to work out how act and being relate together at the level of God and revelation. And then sort of the rest of it falls from there. So his big beef with Bart then is that, yeah, it's great that um, Bart emphasizes these act characteristics, but the lack, or lack is maybe too strong a word, but the improper recognition of the need to have well-developed being, being characteristics um, creates problems. And he goes into a bunch of ar complicated arguments for why that creates problems for Bart's theology. But if you kind of try to summarize the crux of Bonhoeffer's disagreement with Bart. Um, there's this one point in Act and Being where he says that Bart's mistake is that he thinks of God as a subject rather than as a person. Right? That's, I think, to me, the crucial sentence. So, wh what does that mean? Well, when he says when he says Bart thinks about God as a subject, he seems to have in mind, you know, Kant's idea of a knowing subject. So, for Kant. The knowing subject is transcendental, somehow escapes the conditions of this world, even as the acts of that subject are knowable in this world. So to put this in Bonhoeffer's language, a Kantian subject acts in the world, but the subject's being remains somehow beyond the world, right? And Bonhoeffer says that Bart has adopted something like this model of a Kantian subject for his understanding of God. So for Bar, as Bonhoeffer tells it, God reveals God's self in acts in the world. That's the act concept of revelation. But God's being is beyond the world, according to Bart's thinking. And that's kind of a conscious decision. If it's right, that would be, would be a conscious decision for Bar because he's trying to kind of keep God away from the knowing grasp of the human mind and the human human conscience. And one way to do that is to say that God's being is somehow escapes the world and therefore escapes the conditions of knowability. But Bonhoeffer thinks this is a mistake. He thinks God needs to be thought of not as a subject in that sense, but as a person, which in his kind of idiosyncratic technical vocabulary means God should be thought of as acting in the world, but also somehow being in the world. So that's the crucial difference 
Bart treats God as subject. God reveals God's self in, in acts in the world, but those acts reveal God's being to be beyond the world. And for Bonhoeffer, God reveals God's self through acts, which reveal God's very being to be in the world. Um, so you can see that there's a, a lot of agreement there. Mm -hmm. And when you focus um, on the act part, he just seems very Bardian, right? Because the agreement comes on this emphasis on the act characteristics of revelation, and that's all there. But when you see the critique, which is very significant, and you can imagine that a lot of serious ramifications follow from so fundamental a difference, then you see that he's trying to offer a, you know, a pretty basic critique of Bart. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, and it raises a whole series of other questions and can be unpacked in a whole series of ways, but I think that's the crux that you can sort of explore and spin out a whole bunch yeah. of different Wow, that, yeah, <laughs> that kind of blew my mind as I was reading it. Specifically, your um, your explanation for his critique and act of uh, act theology in the book is um, about historical existence. Um, is, the, is the term that you gave it, and I I had a hard time understanding that for a little bit as I was reading through. But then you said something and it just like stuck, and it was it was so helpful. Um, the idea that for uh, act theology to be defined as as God acting in the world, God acting on on humans, and we, him being completely contingent, and we're just there. He does these things. Uh, yeah. If if he is doing that, then the uh, the act, the relationship is defined by moments instead of an actual relationship. And then uh, you said you quoted Bonhoeffer saying that. And this is like a really confusing sentence that he always follows up uh, a possibility of knowing with the possibility of not knowing. And I was like, okay, what's going on here? But then I like, it clicked that, okay, he's saying that, I think he's saying that uh, if, if God is acting in revelation momentarily over and over throughout time, then the gaps in between those moments yeah. is not knowing God. And that seems to be a problem, specifically in the life of faith of the believer. Exactly, right. So, I mean, when you, the, the issue of historical continuity, um, that's the way that I put it in the, in the book, that's kind of an overall category for the variety of problems that he thinks arise in Bart's theology if you have only or predominantly act concepts going on. So at each of the relevant conceptual levels, you have discontinuity that is problematic if you're trying to come up with a theology that accurately represents what Bonhoeffer takes the Christian life to be. So, um, at the so at the anthropological level, let's say that you follow Bart's thinking as Bonhoeffer portrays it, and right, you are kind of a new create new creation by virtue of being revealed upon by God. Well. If that happens in Acts without a strong sense of historical or temporal continuity, then what does that mean for the believer? Are they only a new a believer in those moments? Are they only a new creation sort of now and then? Or how does that work? And similarly for the epistemological level or in terms of faith, 
Um, do we only believe in those moments? Don't we need to have, as I put it in the book, a life of faith, a kind of continuous component? And similarly with God, doesn't God need to not only reveal God's self in Acts, but somehow be, be with us in some kind of more robustly temporal historical way? So, so the, there are this series of problems of historical continuity that he thinks arise in Bart's theology. That's the main challenge from his point of view that an act theology faces. On the other side, the primary set of problems that a being theology faces is what I call the problem of transcendence. Mm -hmm. So the being the theology side, they can solve a lot of problems of historical continuity. They, they got that down, but the problem is in the process, they reduce God to a feature of creation or a feature of the self, right? So. Bart criticizes that, rightly, Bonhoeffer thinks, but in the process generates these problems of continuity. So another way of saying that he wants to mediate between act and being theologies, or another way of saying that he wants to coordinate the act and being conceptuality at these various levels, another way of saying that is he wants to find a theological conceptuality that simultaneously solves both the problem of transcendence and the problems of historical continuity. Because he thinks the being theologians got problems of transcendence, Bart's theology has primarily the problem of historical continuity. He thinks you can't have a good theology without both because you can't describe the Christian life, which involves both. And so that's the basic um, pair of problems he's trying to find a single solution to. Yeah. It's so interesting. Crazy, <laughs> like, huh? How do you, it blows my mind that someone thinks, I'll write my dissertation on this. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just when, he's in his, when he's in his 20s, too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And awfully quickly, too. I think uh, right. Right. Anger, he wrote it in like 18 months or something like that. Yeah. It's like a rough draft, basically. <laughs> wow. That's so fascinating. And then, yeah, you, you mentioned earlier that, that he, he solves it through a person theology that, um, that a person is both acting and consistent being in the world. And that, that is a helpful way to, to solve that. Yeah. Yeah. Although the way that you just put it makes it sound like an easy solution. Sometimes presents it that way, but it's not, it's super complicated because it does obviously raise a whole series of problems. Like how are you going to solve? How are you, if you're going to say that God reveals God's self consistently, uh, in a, some kind of some kind of a continuous way in the world, how are you going to avoid the problem of transcendence, which was Bart's concern? And he uh, ends up. This is where you could sort of push the argument in a philosophical direction. The way to see how he thinks he succeeds in doing that is he basically reorients his theology away from what he sees in Bart as a reliance on a kind of Kantian way of thinking, and he adopts a Heideggerian way of thinking, and that's the main philosophical move that he needs to carry out and i don't know how much you want to talk about this but that's kind of the key to him pulling off that that single solution so i mean i said earlier that kant has this vision of the self as a subject as a knowing subject and heidegger rejects that position and has a position of human being as you know, dasein in his temporal in his technical vocabulary which for him is a, a way of being that is fully temporal. Um, 
Dasein is temporal. And Bonhoeffer adopts that as a way of thinking about the person and with modifications sees God in those terms. So that's philosophically what stands behind that important contrast sentence of God is not subject but person, which another way of saying that is we need to think about um, God and revelation, not with Kantian categories, but properly modified Heideggerian categories. Mm. And then you'll be able to have, he thinks, a way of talking about God as um, existing or as temporally continuous, but you won't fall into the problem of transcendence. It's a really sort of simplified way of putting it, but um, so that's what's going on philosophically, I would say. Wow. Well, uh, now that we've spent a solid 46 minutes on... <laughs> oh, no, have we? <laughs> uh, well, no, that, that I wanted to... This is the one that was okay. really uh, stuck with me. I think it's probably helpful for people who are new to Bonhoeffer who want to get into those first ones. Um, the scary thing is we probably could have gone on for a while, right? Uh, <laughs> I, I could have easily, but I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, so I'll just ask you a question that kind of summarizes the other two books, I guess. Um, since we're talking about Bonhoeffer's theological formation, we've, we've kind of laid out Karl Barth, Karl Hull. Um, wanted to talk about Luther. You wrote an entire book about uh, Bonhoeffer's reception of Luther, which is excellent. And then your book, uh, Bonhoeffer on Resistance, interacts a lot with Luther, um, yeah. this, this idea of the two kingdoms. Um, so <laughs> as long as you're willing to go, how does, um, how does Bonhoeffer's, the, how is Bonhoeffer's theology influenced by Luther, other, other specific areas in his work so where you can clearly see it? What do you think? Yeah. Um, so I think it, you can actually go pretty easily from what we were just talking about in the context of act and being into the issue of Luther. And this is actually, um, you know, what happened in my own thinking, why after writing the first book, I decided to write the second book about Bonhoeffer's relationship to Luther. Um, so if you take that issue that we were just thinking about, about um, God's, how to understand God's being in light of God's revelation, and I said that one of the ways that you can cash that out is by talking about it philosophically. And Bonhoeffer does that by kind of painting Bart as a Kantian and he himself taking Heidegger's tools. Another way of talking about it is to say that um, there's a kind of uh, historical disagreement between Reformed thinkers and Lutheran thinkers that's playing out in act and being, and in specifically in Bonhoeffer's um, critique of Bart, and kind of the too simple way to put that is um, that historically, the Reformed have disagreed with the Lutherans um, in slightly different theological emphases. So the Reformed have always been a little bit more interested in making sure that in the context of revelation and also in the context of the incarnation and also in the context of how we talk about the Lord's Supper, they've always been just a little bit more concerned than the Lutherans in making sure that God's sovereignty or God's freedom to use Bart's language is protected. 
that in the event of the incarnation or in the event of the revelation of revelation, it's important that we make sure that God isn't too closely identified with creation so that we blur the distinction between um, God and creation. Um, Lutherans, on the other hand, have tended to disagree with the Reformed by being more nervous about denying the significance of the incarnation. So they want to affirm that in Revelation and in the incarnation, God somehow fully enters into creation in a way that the Reformed tradition tends to back off from. So there's this historical um, disagreement that's playing out in the conversation um, with Bonhoeffer and Bart. So Bart is de developing what I would call a kind of Kantian version of the Reformed position, and Bonhoeffer, I would say, is developing a kind of Heideggerian version of the Lutheran position. So when I wrote um, the, the book, uh, the first book, Bonhoeffer's Theological Formation, that idea was deep in my mind, and it kind of indicated to me that Bonhoeffer was a deeply Lutheran thinker, at least on that issue, so far as the concept of revelation goes. But then I had this experience of, you know, reading a lot of Bonhoeffer scholarship, which to my mind um, either didn't pay much attention, what, what I thought was sufficient attention to Luther, or um, sometimes even explicitly said that Bonhoeffer is breaking from Luther in one way or the other. And I, I became convinced that that was a, a bad interpretive move to take and that it created a bunch of problems in how Bonhoeffer's theology was read. So that's basically why I decided to write the book on Bonhoeffer's reception of Luther. And the basic argument of that is that Bonhoeffer's thinking is best read um, as an attempt to be faithful to the Lutheran tradition. And if you don't recognize that, then you're going to have a bunch of misinterpretations. That's basically what I'm trying to do in Bonhoeffer's reception of Luther. That's, uh, um, yeah, you want to try? Did you ask me to talk about the other one too? Or oh, no, no, I was just like, uh, I, I saw that there was this theme. It's really funny. Like, again, you read three books back to back by the same author and you can see kind of the kernels of where the next book come from <laughs> reading theological formation. It's like, you know, I mentioned Luther a few times and you almost are like, yeah, this hasn't been really explored. And then boom, next book. <laughs> that's, how it, that's how it goes when you're writing, right? You finish a book and you're like, man, I could really say more about that. And then that becomes the next thing. Uh, so yeah. yeah, that's really what happened. And then the transition from the Luther book to, to the resistance book was also pretty straightforward in the sense that, um, the, the Bonhoeffer's reception of Luther book, although it does return to that issue of the concept of revelation in the one chapter on Bart, it goes beyond those kind of um, fundamental theological issues about revelation and things like that into more political and social issues. And I became convinced over the course of working on that book that maybe the um, biggest uh, instance of the interpretive problem of separating Bonhoeffer from Luther was to separate him from Luther on the doctrine of the two kingdoms, um, which shapes so much of how Bonhoeffer 
thinks through issues that are of kind of social, ethical, or political significance. So that engagement with the Luther's two kingdoms, Bonhoeffer's reception and appropriation of it, and the scholarly conversation around that became central to that second book. And then, um, then the, as you may have noticed, then the last chapter in that book is about resistance, right? And yeah. how how his thinking about resistance has, you know, people have said is it's not very Lutheran. And I've tried to say, look, there's a lot about it that is pretty Lutheran. And then um, that became basically the seed for the resistance book, although I wasn't really planning to write that. Um, but then, you know, Trump got elected and suddenly like everybody's talking about Bonhoeffer and resistance and all this stuff. And I kind of had this unsatisfying feeling that his name was being invoked a lot, but people didn't really seem to have a sense of what he meant by resistance. And then I kind of thought, well, there hasn't really been a book that tried to explain that. And then I thought, it really wouldn't take me that long to write it. I've worked out all, all the issues in that Luther book. I mean, I would just have to kind of repackage it and and present it, not as a Luther book, but as a here's Bonhoeffer's thinking about resistance kind of book. And so that's that's how the third one came about. And right, the it is a big theme of that book that you really will have a lot of trouble understanding what Bonhoeffer's up to when he's talking about resistance. If you don't have a kind of basic grasp of the fact that he's playing with, uh, he's playing variations on some Lutheran themes um, about the two kingdoms, about the orders or the estates or what he later calls the mandates, about vocation. These are all kind of um, topics of Lutheran social ethics that are crucial for how he ends up thinking through, I think, all of the social issues that he encounters, but especially the issue of resistance. So then that's what that, that third book tries to do. Wow. So. That's great. Well, I, I I thought it would be a hard time going through two books at once in like five minutes, but but you seem to nail it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you do have deep knowledge of these things, you know, when you've written. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, just to package it that quickly, it was, it was pretty incredible. Um, <laughs> so what we usually do at the end of every episode is sort of a fun uh, way to get book recommendations. Uh, it's a little game of Desert Island. Um, so we'll end with this. Um, if you have to take uh, one book by Bonhoeffer and one book about Bonhoeffer, it could be about his life, biography, about his theology, anything. Um, what two books are you taking with you? Well, I sort of, I feel like I sort of have to say act and being after this conversation, right? So I have my very well, you know, very well thumbed and very well dog-eared and very well marked up copy of act and being, which um, is has a lot of sentimental value. So I suppose I'd have to bring that one. As far as um, books, uh, I'm going to say Florian Schmitz's book on discipleship, um, which is not translated. Um, I'll, maybe I'll come back to an English one, but he's got a book on discipleship called Nachfolge, which is, I think, um, one of the most important Bonhoeffer books that's come out in a while. So, you, uh, you know, if you've read some of the scholarship, you know that one of the issues that the scholarship has wrestled with is how to relate the various phases or periods of Bonhoeffer's thinking. And there's 
uh, strong interpretive tradition that sees kind of the middle phase, the discipleship and life together phase as a kind of detour um, from a more politically engaged kind of, or more world-centered kind of theology, right? So in the early 30s, he's writing the church struggle stuff, and obviously that's very um, involved in political issues. And then at the end, he's writing ethics and letters and papers from prison, which are, again, very much like that. And then there's this middle period where he seems to be sort of off in the woods um, with his seminarians talking about stuff, who knows what, right? Mm -hmm. um, and Florian's book has more than any other book, I think, traced the themes that run through that show that discipleship isn't this detour and has set aside some of the kind of arguments that you still see about, you know, back in discipleship, he thought this way, but in, in ethics and letters from letters and papers from prison, he overturned that stuff. Um, so that's a pretty big deal of a book. Um, so that one, but I'm going to cheat the rules and I'm going to cheat the rules in two ways. <laughs> First, I'm going to recommend a second book. And second, it's not even properly a book. It, it's a dissertation. So a student of mine, um, named Nick Bile, his name is spelled B-Y-L-E, wrote a dissertation um, on um, called Divine Temporality, and it's on Bonhoeffer and Heidegger. And so I, I think from what we talked about earlier, you can see that I think Heidegger is, is pretty important. But at the same time, in you know the stuff that I've written, I've written some stuff on Heidegger, but I'm no Heidegger specialist, and I only kind of touch on it in certain ways, and it's much more about this is how Bonhoeffer reads Heidegger or what he says about Heidegger. Mm -hmm. Well, Nick um, basically did all the Heidegger work and wrote a dissertation on Bonhoeffer and Heidegger that uh, ought to be published uh, sometime in the near future. But right now it's a dissertation, and I think it's um, pretty great for um, saying a lot of the stuff that I didn't have the tools to say. So there's your English one. Um, yeah, I broke your rules, but sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just a way to get rec uh, book recommendations, but, um, so that, that's perfect. Um, I'm looking forward to reading that. That's, um, yeah, it, it seems like the more, I cannot tell you how helpful, I, I did not know this would be a, a useful study resource. YouTube, incredible. Yeah, really? <laughs> but I, I would run across like, you know, I haven't, I mean, I took probably three years off in between my undergrad and the my schooling now and graduate studies. So it's been a while since I've taken a philosophy class. And I'm like, all right, remind me of what Kant is saying. And then you could find like a five-minute lecture on uh, a Kant that just like lays out the basics. And I'm like, right back to the book. Wow. And That's crazy. Yeah. And something that was not available to mm -hmm. Any of us, even not that long ago, it's crazy. I can send you Nick's dissertation, by the way. I think um, you'd find yeah. it interesting, especially with the anthropology stuff. So absolutely, that would be fantastic. Yeah, when um, I'll send it to you. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, so that'll wrap us up. Um, if there's any sort of, um, we usually offer an opportunity. I don't know if you're on social media, but a, a way for people to get a hold of you if they have more follow-up questions, and then obviously. You can plug your books or anything like that, just the way people get to know you. Well, I, I, I'm bad at social media, but anybody who has questions or invitations or whatever can email me um, at uh, mdejonge -E 
at usf.edu. You can also just kind of Google my name and you'll probably land on my uh, faculty webpage, which will have that contact information. Um, I feel like it would be too shameful to plug books after we just spent so much yeah. time talking about them. So I'll leave it at that. But I am um, open to um, questions from students just starting out or whoever else would enjoy talking about this kind of stuff. And it's great to virtually uh, meet you as one of those people. It's been great. Yeah, it's been this has been a pleasure. Um, so yeah, the books the books are Bonhoeffer's Theological Formation, Bonhoeffer's Reception of Luther, and Bonhoeffer on Resistance. Um, just to plug on your behalf, um, they're they're all really great, and especially if you are trying to read Acts and Being and thinking, what in the world is this saying? Bonhoeffer's Theological Formation is really really helpful. So um, if you're listening, to to say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so if you're listening and and you want to know more check those out. Um, other than that, I think that'll wrap us up again. Thank you so much. This has been great. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bonhoeffer podcast. And thank you to Dr. DeYoung for coming on. The books that he's written for Bonhoeffer scholarship have been hugely influential in my studies, and I'm sure that many others would say the same. I'm sorry for the sound on this one. I had some technical difficulties that were unexpected that kind of made this one, recording this one, uh, a little tricky. Uh, but nonetheless, Dr. DeYoung was great, and I'll keep working to make this a better experience for you listeners. If you're interested in knowing more about Bonhoeffer or have any feedback at all, feel free to leave a review on iTunes or reach out to me directly on Twitter. And the handle is at BonhoefferPod. We should be back in May with another episode that I'm really looking forward to, and I think you will enjoy it as well. Until then, thanks for listening.